Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, January 13th, 2016. Today we are reading from the AA Big Book and we will begin reading the last paragraph on page 22, beginning with, we know that while the alcoholic... Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Janice M., 12 Traditions, Janice B., and our readers of the text will be Linda R., Michelle H., and Renata G., the reference number for Tuesday, January 12, 2016, is 8376. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice M. to read the 12 steps. Well, thank you, Sally, and good morning, everyone. My name is Janice M. These are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God to ourselves, into another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for His the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening As the result of these steps, we tried 
to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you so much, Janice M. I will now ask Janice B. to reach to read the Twelve Traditions. Thank you, Sally. Good morning, uh, Vision for You. This is Janice B. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there's but one ultimate authority a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry them its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Hello? Oops. Thought I was unmuted. Thank you, Janice B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we will resume our study of the AA big book on page 22, beginning with the last paragraph on the page. We know 
that while the alcoholic keeps away, please read one paragraph for us. I will now ask Linda R. to begin reading. Good morning, Sally. This is Linda R. recovered in South Florida and so grateful today. And thank you so much for your service today. Okay. We know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mental sense which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. And I looked up the word abundant, and it says well supplied with something. Well, yes, I was well supplied with something. I thought about the paragraph also, and at the beginning, you know, this was my research of finding my first step bottom. I had to do this over and over again until... I hit a bottom where I was ready and ready to make that decision to really turn my life and my will over to something greater than myself. Like it says here, months and years when I kept the food down, and that was my control. Like all the diets that I was on all those years, I could go for months, and I could go sometimes for a year without compulsively overeating because I didn't trigger the phenomenon of craving. And um, I think for me, it was a very important lesson that I had to keep doing this over and over again to really crush my ego so that I could really be ready. You know, I was ready many times, you know. I thought in the process of my recovery that I hit bottoms many times, but the last one, thank you, dear God, was the one where I really surrendered to my will and a higher power. And I also wanted to refer to the doctor's opinion on XXX where it tells us we have one symptom in common. We cannot stop drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. And it talks about the manifestation of the allergy, which differentiates us from everybody else. And that the only relief for me is entire abstinence. And the other thing I just wanted to say was that entire abstinence. I really didn't understand that, you know, until I was in program for a while. I thought it was just putting down the food. But the entire abstinence is a total package of really working the steps, helping others, talking to God, developing my own personal relationship with food, not only with God, with food, with my food plan, having one specifically working for me where my foods are off. So, um... That's basically what I want to say. In closing, I just want to say that yesterday, you know, the answer to this riddle, what is the riddle? Well, I thought of the riddle. Why does the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? Well, why, did, why does the compulsive overeat across the road to get to the higher side, the higher power, the self-work, and, um, you know, that relationship with God and with myself and with others? Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, before you all come come flying in, I just want to remind you to keep your phones muted if you're not speaking. It's very important because there are so many on the line. And with that, I would like to open it up to those who might like to share on this paragraph. Can you tell me from Boston? This is Bella. Can I share? Okay. I heard Katie G. Bella, I heard you. Who did Ronnie. I hear? 
Ronnie, Ronnie P. Ronnie P. Got it. I just would like to know what page we're on, please. We're on page 22, bottom of the page. Katie G., Ronnie P., Bella, who else is there? Amy G. Amy G., good morning. Anyone else? Sally, it's Katie. Did you just call me? Not yet, Katie G., but I got you first on my list. Is there I'm anyone sorry. else you'd like to share? Anyone else want to share before I go ahead and get started? Can you please tell me what page you're on? I thought I had just said that. <laughs> Bottom of page 22. 22, 22, 22, 22. KDG, go ahead and get us started. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. Sorry for my technical difficulties. This is KDG, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. KDG, can you, can you raise the volume up a little bit, KDG? Cause I can Good morning, Sally. Sally, can you hear me now? That's much better. Thank you. All right. Good morning, everyone. Take three. This is KDG, Recovered and Not Perfect Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic from Boston, Massachusetts. And I'm really grateful to be reading this. So what is this paragraph telling me is that if I am the real compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic, um, I can keep away from flour, sugar quantities, and for me, excessive use of laxatives, bulimia. I can react much like other people, right? I can, I can seem normal. However, the minute I take flour, sugar, and quantities, so my alcoholic foods, into my body, something is going to happen for me. And that happens to me whether it's my, my alcoholic foods or my food behaviors. And I am hooked. And what's confusing to me is that the hook might be subtle at first. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, I might be over-exercising off my exercise plan for a day, right? I may be dishonest with my sponsor and not tell her, oh, you know what, I'm going for a sixth day. And, oh, my gosh, nothing's happening. I tell you what, two days later, I'm restless. I'm irritable. I'm discontent. I'm picking McPister. I'm judging everyone. And all of a sudden, I'm complaining to everyone in my network, and eating is going to feel like a step up from how I feel because I have gone off into my alcoholic foods, my alcoholic food behaviors, and that phenomenon of craving is tightening and tightening and tightening. So I might veer off a little, or as some people like to say, like I um, I didn't break my abstinence. I, I forget what people say, that it's not breaking your abstinence. They have a slip, oops, you know, and that's never the case for me. But like I might take a little bit and in, the, in a couple of days or in a couple of months, sometimes a little bit longer, the next thing I know, I am face down in the food being like, how did it start? How did it start? And, again, what I want to bring this back to is that for me, the real essence of powerlessness is realizing I have no power, I have no choice, and I have no control. And I have these allergic foods for me, allergic um, food behaviors, okay, that it's not just enough to abstain from them 100%, which I have to do each and every day. I have to realize also I have a mind that wants me dead, that will tell me these little small lies that slowly, 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 louder, 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 and the next thing you know, I'm face down in the food. And what is the solution? For me, it's a black and white abstinence with my food and my food behaviors and exercise, 
and working the steps each and every day. Um, so, you know, now I do 10, 11, and 12. I have a recovered network, and I help others. And I am so grateful that once more my death has been interrupted for today and today only. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Katie G. And Ronnie P., you're up next. Bella, you'll be up next. Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, Ronnie P. from Pennsylvania. Thanks a lot, uh, Sally, for leading us this morning. Um, I really landed on this part of the reading. Something happens both in the bodily and mental sense. And, you know, in my career uh, as a compulsive overeater, I was so focused on the body. Um, and it never, it, you know, I just didn't really know that it was, that this was a mental disease. I knew that if I ate, I would get depressed but I thought that the depression, you know, or feeling bad was a direct result um, of just eating. And I thought that everyone who ate too much then slipped into this mental funk. And um, it's just not true. There's plenty of people who, you know, they eat too much and the next day they go, yeah, you know, just not really, I'm just not really hungry today. You know, I was out last night, kind of had a heavy meal, was a little rich, you know, and they just go about their business. Um, the mental sense, that's the thing that really, um, uh, that I think is the toughest for me. Um, because what happens is when I get to that place, I get so, um, I, I, I pull inward and um, I lose gratitude. Um, I lose any sense of um, joy or uh, equilibrium even. You know, stuff happens and it just feels, everything's exacerbated. It's like a little bit of the worst thing that could have happened and I don't, um, I don't have distance. I don't have just a healthy distance and balance toward life's everyday um, ups and downs. And, um, you know, I don't know if a whole lot of people do, but I'm just going to speak for how this stuff manifests with me. When I have the food down, I am clear enough to know when things come up, um, I can say, okay, is this ego? Let me pray on this. Let me do a tenth step. Let me call someone. And um, as a result, my life is so much better. And life is better for the people around me and the people who love me. And, um, you know, I, I don't live alone in this world. I live in connection with other people. And so I really, um, my whole life is better. They're, they are treated with more respect. Um, they have a better time <laughs> uh, when I am, um, when I'm just really working when I'm really working it. So uh, the mental stuff is, you know, I mean, I can't believe the power of the 10th step. I could be feeling a certain way, and I am certain that something is all wrong. Something is really someone else's fault, um, and I'm just feeling in a deep, deep funk. I can do a 10th step. I can write on it and call someone, and literally within 15 minutes, I have an entirely different outlook. And, you know, I, I always liken it to, you know, if you have a, your your living room has a couple different lamps. You know, one lamp is on, the shadows look one way. You turn that one off and you put on another one, the room looks a different way. It's still the same room. Nothing has changed. But the perspective has changed. And that is what happens so often with doing 10, 11, and 12. The perspective changes. So the life that I was so irritable and, and, and feeling, you know, wasn't good enough for me suddenly looks abundant. Nothing has changed but the way I see it. And it's not about being in la-la land and being in denial. It's about getting right-sized. So uh, God bless the writers of the big book, um, and uh, thank you for letting me share. Pass. 
Thanks for sharing, Ronnie P. And Bella, you're up. Amy G., you're up next. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella G., and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Sally, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. The experience of any alcoholic, yes, I do have experience before the program and after the program. And yes, after the program, thank you, God, thank you, God, by doing this, the, the steps, by leaving the steps, I am connected to myself. I learn to be connected to myself and not to my ego and not to my power. And yes, when I am not putting into myself my alcoholic food, you know, I can breathe. I can think clearly without fear, without guilt, without blame. And yes, I can act like other normal people, you know, and when I don't have in, in my body, my alcoholic food, I can survive from breakfast to lunch and from lunch to supper. And, you know, I learn to accept myself. And when I see that I did a mistake or when I realize that, again, I am directed by my power, it's okay. I learn to pause and to say, well, I am not perfect. I have now an opportunity to learn a new thing. I don't know everything all the time. And I don't have to be jealous. Nobody is a higher power. I am connected to the real higher power that loves me and accepts me. And yes, today by doing the steps, by leaving the steps, yes, I learn I, I can live. I live in peace, in peace with myself. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Amy G., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Amy G. Thank you, Sally, for your service. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Yeah, a little bit, oh. little bit choppy. Okay, hold on. Better? Much better. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Sally. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. We are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens both mentally, uh, bodily and mentally. You know, it's interesting. They say once he puts the alcohol into his system. It's not if or when. It's once because based on abundant experience, as it goes on to say, any, as in all alcoholics, can confirm that there isn't going to be an if because if you're a compul- if we're compulsive if I am a compulsive overeater of the real variety that I am going to because of this mental obsession find a reason insane or not or none at all to put my binge food into my mouth it it happens and that has been my experience and for many of us on the line can confirm this I'm sure abundantly but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. My mind, if we read step one in the AA 12 and 12, it says that we, food in hand, we have warped our minds with such an obsession for destructive eating that only an act of providence can relieve us of it. So it's not 
it's not if, it's when. And that has always been my case. No matter what and against all evidence to the contrary of what food does when I put it into my system, I would always wind up face first back into the food. And one of the things I also I also noticed here, it says when the alcoholic keeps away from drinking, may do so for months or years, he reacts much just, much like other men. You know, for me, that means that in other areas of my life, and even when I wasn't eating, I had willpower. I had discipline. I could do things. I could go to school. I could do homework. I could take tests. You know, I could work. But what happened was when I put food in my mouth, that willpower that I had in all my other areas of my life dissolved. It disappeared. I didn't have it. My mind was warped. And once it's warped, it never changed. And it hasn't changed. That's why I'm recovered one day at a time, but I am not cured. Because you can't make a pickle back to a cucumber. You can't unwarp a record album from being warped. This is who I am. I don't know why, or I don't know if I started that way, like they talked about it in the prior paragraph as far as the riddle goes, or why, but something has happened now in my body, in me physically and mentally that makes me different. It makes me different before I eat because I still find an insane reason to put the food in my mouth, and it makes me different when I put it into me physically. But it because it then starts the phenomenon of craving, a phenomenon of craving. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Amy G. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? Let's take a few more. Melissa, Monica, Monica, Monica. Melissa. Okay, let's go ahead and go with those two, and we'll move on. Melissa first, and then Monica. Monica? I'm sorry. Melissa, are you there? I thought you said Melissa first. Hi. Hi, Hi, yes. I did. Melissa, you go first. Monica, you take the rear. Go ahead, Melissa. Hi, I was confused. I wasn't sure who was. It's me. I'm confusing you. Is it Melissa that's going now? Is it me? Yes, please go ahead, Melissa. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Sally. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And um, I'm going to try and focus on just this paragraph and not the one that's coming after. But, um, you know, I think the problem for me is that, um, and this disease, is that when I don't have my alcoholic foods and I'm not engaging in my alcoholic food behaviors, I appear like other people. I appear normal, and but I'm not normal. You know, that's the piece that's missing here. I am not like other men. And so um, the danger for me has been in the appearance that I can somehow um, fake myself, you know, trick myself um, into thinking that I'm normal, that I'm cured. And, you know, and for me it's like I feel like I have a type of food um, – insanity of food senility that I forget so easily or I had been able to forget so easily exactly um, what the food, the you know, the, the problems that it creates in my life because I start to appear like other people and so I believe like I'm other people. And then um, when life presents difficulties and problems like it always does, I'm not like other people, and so I have not had the skill set or the ability to handle life's ups and downs without the ease and comfort of the food. And so um, I would think that, um, you know, I 
would think, okay, um, I can have a bite, you know, or um, this isn't as bad as I believe it is. And that for me was always the danger, that um, the appearance like of other people. And so it really hit home for me um, that I am, you know, I am like a man that's lost my leg. I will never grow new ones. And so, you know, you could give me prosthetic legs, I'm still legless. And so um, knowing that and accepting that was, you know, an important part of my recovery. And then, of course, having the transformation um, allowed me to embrace exactly what it is I need to do so that I can handle life's ups and downs. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Okay, thanks so much. And Monica, <laughs> let me get Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Sally. Good morning, everyone. This is Monica T. from Florida, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in the chapter, There is a Solution, but once again, they're wanting to hammer something home to us here that we learned about in the doctor's opinion. We are equally positive. Who's the we? The first 100 are saying here, are equally positive. We all 100% agree on this right here, that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens, both in the bodily and mentally sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. So I think here the big book is trying to hammer home to Monica again. And to any of us who are real compulsive overeaters, once he takes any alcohol, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the physical aspect of our disease, the allergy. I have an allergy to certain foods. I have an abnormal reaction to certain foods. And if I put them into my system, I have an abnormal reaction that is going to make me crave. I then have to eat. It's beyond me. I have to. I'm in that shoveling mode. Any alcohol. So Monica had to learn and had to be really honest, honest here, what my alcoholic foods were. And it's not, you know, for, and, and I know everybody is different. And I think most of us agree, you know, sugar is a big deal for the majority of us. But I also had to look at fat, flour, salty, crunchy. You know, there's a few things there I didn't want to give up. Lots of claw marks. But in being honest and going back and looking back over my shoulder, my experience showed me that if I ate that, I would be into face first into food because I would have set off the allergy, the, the phenomenon of craving. And also, it's been a process. I had to also learn about food behaviors, eating behaviors around the foods that would also set me off. So I think here they're just trying to say, hey, look, guys, you have an allergy. You have an abnormal reaction to certain foods here. We all agree something happens it's the way we are, and we have to be honest and put them down. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Before we move on, is there one or two more who would like to share on this paragraph? Nadia V. Nadia, go right ahead. Deb W. Oh, Deb W. And someone else? Jan J. Jan J. 
Okay. Marion H. Marion H. Iris T. Iris T. Oh, thank you, yes. Okay. Let's go ahead and get started with Nadia and then Deb W. Good morning, everyone. This is Nadia B. in Connecticut. And Sally, if you could please help me with timing. Yes, I will. So, thank you. So in my, you know, early OA days, I could keep abstinent for a few weeks and then pick up and get abstinent again. I could wait till I got home from work to binge. But as time passed, um, my periods, uh, you know, those periods became shorter and my debacles became more painful, more humiliating. And, um, you know, everything, my binges started in the morning. And in my last days, you know, I became abstinent. And, of course, you know, I probably went to a meeting that day and um, got a few days in and I got excited again. And, you know, I was okay. You know, I I, um, thought I had best intentions and I thought of service. And as I went to work and I, you know, went down to work um, in town, they had best bagels in the county. So, um, or, you know, so people say, so I decided to be of service. I'm abstinent, you know. I um, wanted to get um, my husband, you know, some bagels. So what's bad about that, you know? not I didn't want to get him a new tie or shirt, you know. I, I decided to get him a bagel. Same idea um, after, you know, three days of abstinence. And, you know, I thought, you know, why getting just one or two? Let me just get whatever I need to get to freeze so he can enjoy them longer. And, you know, if you don't know, you might think that I live in the middle of the desert, but my house is two miles from a grocery store. And my husband doesn't even like bagels. He thinks they're too chewy, but, you know, what do I know? Um, This he probably would because they were the best bagels in the county. And, you know, then I thought, how many calories is in the bagel? You know, it's a lunchtime. So, you know, if you're listening to me right now, you know the rest of the story. Um, and, you know, so what happened with me mentally, that as a result of this bagels, I was the next day yelling at my um, local psychiatrist office assistant that, you know, how dare she wants me to wait two weeks to see a doctor because I was so depressed. And... um you know, and maybe I was, and she asked me, are you suicidal? <laughs> you know, I was thinking thinking to myself, just choking on the bagel, driving 80 miles an hour on 84 pounds. <laughs> you know, I wanted to tell her my bagel story, but I wasn't, you know, I was ashamed. I didn't want to, um, you know, anyone to know this story. Uh, but you know who understood? I called a recovered fellow, and he didn't make me wait two weeks to talk to anyone. And, um, you know, he got me a number of a person that I spoke to on that day, and, um, you know, I haven't had a binge since. And, you know, today I can laugh at my bagel story and um. laugh. Thank you, Sally. And, um, and, those days, I certainly did not laugh much. So that is my experience. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing, Nadia P. And Deb W., it's your turn. And Jan G., you'll be up next. Good morning, Sally. 
Deb W. recovered from Oklahoma. Uh, the, the line I wanted to uh, share on is we are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever in his system, something happens. And, and you know, actually the line before when it says he reacts much like other men, yeah, on the surface I do. You know, I can get up, I brush my teeth, I go to work, I have hold a good job and everything. But actually we know. I'm not like other men because at that point when I am acting like other men, which I'm going to say I'm not into the food, I have the mental twist, okay? And, you know, I have already passed a point that I will never go back or never not have the mental twist if not treated because the mental twist for me says that if I'm not using uh, the binge food, why did I stop using it? I can't remember my mind will say untreated and not working the steps. Why is it that I don't ha- can't have that? And maybe it wasn't so bad. And, you know, it contemplates, it, it, it second guesses for me. I don't see, I can eat it. One And if I get away with it, I'm going, you know, well, what is the problem? But once I um, start eating, something is awakened in me. And you know what? I don't know that in everything I eat that there may not be a trace of whatever the problem, I'll say sugar, there may not be a trace of it in it. But when I eat, this is me, this is my thought. I this this is awakened that you know the 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 awareness of something in my system of something in in my body that uh, is different than years and years ago before I crossed this line, and so as long as the content of this this uh, uh, this binge food doesn't increase to the point. Uh, that it's triggered, I may go on. I may be just fine. I might get by with, you know, a crunchy chip or a salty this or a salty that. But once it crosses the the point or the amount gets to be uh, an amount that I am triggered, I'm off and running. And that's what makes me different. It's impossible. I don't, I will never, ever be able to not have this scenario happen anymore and the only way that I can stay out of it is to have the spiritual awakening and and to uh, stay out of it by working 10 and 11 and 12 because there is going to be something that doesn't – right now I, I have a 10-step I need to work. I am in, uncomfortable. I am recovered, but I'm uncomfortable because I have to go to the process that will make those uncomfortable feelings go away, those feelings that would make me turn to something. And for me, it's food, something to soothe because the, I, don't, I, I am restless, irritable, and discontent without this process, without the steps. And thank you for letting me share. Thanks for sharing, Deb W. and Jan G. You'll be up next. And Marion H., right up to that. Hi, this is Jan G. Can you hear me? I sure can. Go right ahead, Jan G. 
Hi. Um, I don't know why, but, uh, you know, I've always been a compulsive overeater. Um, I think even at birth, and I am such a slow learner. Um, I listen to the line every day, and it takes me so long to get each one of the points that everybody brings out, but I think I'm finally getting it. It's, you know, I have to chuckle when I think that there are very few things that are guaranteed in life. Uh, One of them is death, one of them is taxes, and another one is if I pick up my binge food, um, I go quickly descending into hell. And um, after decades of being in this disease, I finally, finally get it. Um, But the disease is very, very tricky and baffling, and I thought that if I gave up flour and sugar, you know, my disease would be arrested if I, you know, was on the line and I did the steps. So my food become unstructured, but I, I really know now that I just can't be out there without a structured food plan because I am not like everybody else. I need to write down my food and stick to that plan every day because just like the flour and sugar, not having a structured food plan starts my mind spinning out of control. Um, So I'm just grateful for everybody on the line. And, you know, I consider this a classroom that I go to every day to learn about my disease and to help me, you know, face the challenges of life, which really, you know, is my problem. That's why I run back to unstructured food or um, the food in the first place. So thank you, everybody. I pass. Thanks for sharing. And Marion H., it's your turn. Iris, you're up next. Yes. Good morning. This is Marion H. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Sally, for doing the service. And I just uh, need to say that I'm nervous because I don't usually share. Uh, I'm in the rooms for a very, very long time, and I'm also a slow learner, a grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater, and extremely uh, grateful for for the vision. Uh, I, I, must, I, I love this meeting so much. Uh, we are equally positive that once we take any alcohol whatsoever, into his system, something happens. And that's what I'm finally beginning to understand and to to have it in the deepest core of my soul, that it might not happen today. I might be able to get away with one chip or one uh, uh, tiny piece of cake or whatever, and it'll call me a week or a month later. And, And I need to to understand that in the deepest sense of my core, which I'm finally uh, beginning to believe and and know that I always will be a compulsive eater and only God could help me uh, to relieve my obsession and to know that I do have a mental twist when I take uh, any of my binge foods back. And I'm I'm so grateful to be able to be on this line and to be willing to, to work with two sponsors, and and I just wanted to claim my seat, and thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you for sharing. Iris, it's your turn, and I'm going to dive in here and take a share myself. Go ahead, Iris. Hi, this is Iris G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from New York. Uh, I also want to address the, uh, when I take my, when I used to take my alcoholic food, that something would happen in the bodily and mental sense, and 
for me, that was when, you know, after many programs many years ago, you know, I could go somewhere and they'd say, oh, just have a little, and then, you know, I'd be fine. But once I, I crossed over that line into being a real compulsive overeater, you know, something had changed. And when that happened, I mean, you know, you know, when you're talking about being mental, I mean, I couldn't go to work. I, I couldn't take care of my daughter. And reading this, I mean, I had this flashback of when, you know, my daughter was a baby and I would you know, leave her in her car seat while I'd run in and get my binge food or, you know, pass out and wake up in the morning and she'd be, you know, have a dirty diaper or, you know, forgetting to buckle her, you know. And what I can say today is that, um, you know, having placed my reliance on my higher power and work in this program, you know, I don't have to go to that place anymore. And um, I just want to say thank God for this program. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Iris. I'm just going to jump in for a moment. It's Sally A. in South Jersey, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And um, we're looking at this paragraph that's right on the heels of the riddle. And it is such a riddle. And it says, we know that while the alcoholic keeps away from drink, as he may do for months or years, he reacts much like other men. I, I really identify with this because I had five years of back-to-back, white-knuckling abstinence. I was a dry drunk. I did not understand that I had this mental aspect, this mental twist, this mental blank spot that was going on in my mind. So I only addressed the allergy aspect of my disease. And for five years, I was able to white-knuckle my way to five years and have five years of abstinence. But as many of us know, on bottom of page 30 tells us we are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. So my disease was out in the parking lot doing push-ups and sit-ups and getting ready for that day. Here comes the day. It's going to come that Sally is going to eventually, and here's what it says. We are equally positive that once Sally takes any food, whatever, and in my case it was a bite of pizza, one bite of pizza after five years. That was my once Sally takes any food, which for me created the effect, whatever, into the system something's going to happen. And guess what happened? Sally was off to the races. It was like, and she's out of the gate. And before I even went home that day, I went to another pizzeria. All the way home, I was like a trail of breadcrumbs. I was eating pizza all the way home. And the starting gun had gone off. And thus began Sally gaining 100 pounds in the room over a 10-year period of time. And that's what you're talking about here, both in the bodily and mental sense. Somebody's unmuted, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. Hmm. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I'm going to ask if anyone else would like to share before we, before we close the meeting. We just have a few more minutes for one or two shares. Anyone else before we close? Uh, this is Gail P. and Erica. Hi, Sally. Can you hear me? This I is hear Raquel. you, Raquel. I hear you, Raquel. I heard Gail P. James. And James. Okay, let's see if we can get that far. 
Uh, Raquel, go first. Go ahead. Hi, hi, dear Sally, and hi, all my family and friends on the line. This is such a wonderful paragraph. It has so much in it, and this is why, you know, it, it's, the sharings were wonderful. The sharings for me today really gave voice to um, to how diverse, why this problem of food is so difficult for us, and how it's individual for everybody to define, like with a fine-tooth comb, what on earth is happening to Raquel, what's happening to this friend, what's happening to that friend, and brings me to have tremendous respect to this disease and the complexity of it. That it's, it's so complex. I, I have to, to, to say what happened to me today. I just took to the post office a package for my children uh, after the convention, I went to my daughter in Baltimore and um, the, another relative from, the, from Israel sent them some candy and some, something happened that somebody ate away the other person's candy and there was a big hoo-ha and I promised I will send. Well, it's already two months or more from the convention. It feels like it was just yesterday. But I, I'm telling you, this package here, I prepared it the, the week I came back of the same kind of chocolate and candy, and it stood there, and I didn't have a chance to send it, and it means absolutely nothing to me. Not because I'm that recovered, but because sweets never meant anything to me. In my background, coming from the Holocaust, a dry piece of bread is what meant something to me. This thing stood here, and, you know, it was already boxed, but not not wrapped. And I just didn't get around to it. But things happened since then, but I had no intention, you know, nothing. And it's not because I'm such a great, un- incredible recovery. I think it were, if it were something that had to do with dough, I would have gone for it a long time ago. It wouldn't have survived. So here it comes. How different... But I have to be honest with Raquel and every one of us, with themselves and with the people who come to me for help, because what is for me an unbelievable trigger may not be that for somebody else. And to help each other really, really figure out what it is, what is the poison for me that makes me be different, be a segment of society that is different. And maybe, you know, I I need such a high uh, dosage of medicine that every single day I need to be on this line. And listen, that's how much I need. And I'm so grateful to all of you because we love each other and we accept each other just the way we are. I got so much out of today's sharings. Thank you so much, Sally and everybody, and I pass. Thank you, Raquel. Perfect timing. And Gail P., it's your turn. Good morning. Can you hear me? I sure can. Go ahead. Thank you. This is Gail P. from Arizona. (coughs) Pardon me. Um, This paragraph is really a relief to me because it speaks to me of all the diets I ever went on in the past. And I frequently have been able to say that, (coughs) pardon me, I would stay at goal weight for about five minutes and that would be about it. And even in program, I've been in program for a number of years and able to achieve... um, some periods of abstinence, but I was always, always, always focused, 
solely on the food and what it is I needed to abstain from. And it isn't until I started listening to this vision for you that the mental obsession is getting clearer and clearer and clearer to me that Mm. I need to be dealing with that also. And the fact that I have always tried to handle this problem by my own willpower. And so I am very grateful to everybody on this line for all their shares and (coughs) the inspiration that they have given to me. And (coughs) pardon me, I thank you. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Gail. And James, it's your turn. James? Hi, this is James. Can I be heard? You sure can. Go right ahead, James. Okay. Um, In the read, it says we are equally positive that once any alcohol whatsoever um, is taken into the system, something happens. And then that, as you read on, it it says the experience of, of the alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. And I... First of all, I just want to say, uh, so much has been said on the call. I I don't want to add to or take away from anyone's share. I I just gained so much from all that has been said so far. But there's there's an interesting perspective um, that I just want to add to what's already been shared. And that is um, when I was was with a client at Starbucks Coffee and I ordered, I I actually got some um, sparkling water that was flavored. And in my opinion, I drink sparkling water all the time. I love it. (laughs) But I've never... I've never. I, I knew that when I drank it, I got about halfway down through the sparkling water, and I could tell that the conversation I was having with my client, um, I was getting distant. I, I could tell that I had to struggle to listen, and I had to keep repeatedly ask questions of this client, saying, um, "What do you really mean when you're saying this?" And I could tell that that I was starting to get a headache. I was starting to get a fog, and I and I didn't have my reading glasses when I bought this sparkling water. But anyway, you know how you can squint your eyes, even though you don't have reading glasses, you can read. And I started reading the ingredients, and sure enough, there's sugar. There is the processed sugar. And I thought what was interesting is, um, you know, there's, I know there's the intentional thing that we do and we slip, but there's the unintentional as well. And my experience already told me that there was sugar in this. I said, man, this, this water tastes awfully good. I said, this is interesting. And sometimes there's natural juices or natural fruit juices that sometimes offset that um, that, that kind of, you know, it looks like sugar, but it really isn't, but whatever. But, but anyway, it's the processed sugar that's my problem. And I could tell immediately I was getting a headache. Immediately I was saying, man, I inadvertently did this. What am I going to do? I, I feel like garbage. I'm, I'm like, I'm having to focus. I'm having to put extra calories and effort into listening to what this gentleman was saying to me across the table. And I didn't dare, dare tell him to tell him, hey, I'm sitting across from you, I'm intoxicated, I've got a problem. And I just remember as he was talking, I was just praying. I said, God, I did this inadvertently. I, I didn't intend to do this, but this, my experience is telling me I've got a problem. And I, I survived the, uh, the meeting. Um, he, he really couldn't, he, he may have known something was different, but he wasn't overly concerned. Anyway, I moved on in life. I got into the car driving home, and I just remember telling my sponsor, you know what, I blew it again, man. You know, I inadvertently this, and, you know, and, and he made, he made, certain that I understood what the difference was of something intentionally being done versus accidentally. But the effect was interesting. My experience is telling me that sugar cannot be a part of any part of my, of my food consumption or drinking. Cannot be, cannot be, cannot be. And the effect right. of that, not only a, a cloud, <clears throat> but a, um, 
but but the reality is that it's um, it's a problem for me. So, uh, with that being said, I just I want to just kind of wrap this up by just saying, you know, I I've learned so much from from these calls, and just so appreciate everybody's share. And um, you know, I I myself have been able to put the sugar down, and I know that if I go back, it's going to be a problem. And I know more importantly that it's going to be a problem between me and my higher power. So um, if I'm distanced to a conversation, distanced with a client because of sugar, how much more for the sensitivity of the spirit that we should be in when we're in the food, you know, when we're fucked up, when we're, when, we're, when we're tripped up. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, James. And thank you, everyone, who has shared. I would love to invite you to please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following our closing. And I will now ask Michelle H. to read for us from the big book on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thanks for your service, Sally. Michelle H. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.